Welcome to Clued in Mystery. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke, and we both love mystery. Hi, Brooke. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How about you? Yeah, I'm great too. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Yeah, so we're going to talk about magic and mysteries. And when I say that, Brooke, what kind of book pops into your mind? Is it a cozy mystery featuring witches or talking animals? Do you think about a book where the sleuth uses magic in the investigation? Or do you think of mysteries featuring stage magic? Broadly, I would consider all of these to be magical mysteries. And like so many mystery subgenres that we've already spoken about, there's a real spectrum, uh, both in the type of magic, the mystery itself, or the type of mystery, and also I think the popularity. If you look on Amazon, witch and wizard mysteries have their own category, uh, which suggests to me that they're, that they're quite popular. Uh, but judging by the covers, they're mostly cozy mysteries. But not all mysteries with magic are lighter. There are also PIs, historical mystery, alternative history featuring magic. And I hope we get a chance to talk about uh, each of those today. In terms of the history of the subgenre, I'm not sure that we would be classifying this as a mystery necessarily, but Shakespeare's Macbeth opens with witches and does feature murder. Through much of history, witches were evil and scary and were code for women who were different. Fairy tales feature good and bad witches, though most of them are bad. L. Frank Baum's The Wizard of Oz, published in 1900, also features good and bad witches. Looking at the history of mystery and magic, in the golden age of mystery, there are several examples of mysteries featuring stage magic. Since then, other mysteries featuring magic have been popular. When Shakespeare was writing his plays, I am sure that his audiences would never have dreamt that witches were the heroic crime solvers in today's cozy mysteries. <laughs> uh, so, Brooke, what type of mysteries featuring magic have you read? I think that the majority of the ones that I have read, and certainly the ones that I revisited or read to get ready for our conversation today, are more on the stage magic end of things. I really like those characters, um, especially if you look at some of the historical mysteries along those lines. Um, one of the first things that came to my mind when we talked about uh, reviewing this subgenre, Sarah, was The Prestige. And um, that's a movie that I really enjoyed. I think it's 2007, 2006, somewhere around that era. And I saw it, you know, really early when it first came out and I just loved it. And I thought, well, this was a perfect opportunity to revisit that and read the book. So I have started it. I haven't completed it, but it's written really well. And it's telling the story of these two rival stage magicians. And it's told as, um, as I know you and I both love, an epistolary novel with these old journals from the two rival magicians. But I will say that I was surprised because when I picked it up, I'm thinking that it's a psychological thriller. That's kind of how I would you know, code that movie, but it's actually classified as fantasy. And I'm thinking that that's probably because there is an element of um, like actual conjuring without giving too much away. And um, so I'm going to say it's a fantastical thriller. Well, and, and so that's a good point because I think a lot of the um, mysteries that kind of fall under the magic umbrella really there's a, a big overlap with fantasy and some are um, urban fantasy. So, you know, magic is just, there's magic, but there's also other supernatural creatures. Um, 
And, you know, I think we could probably do a whole other episode talking about kind of that paranormal mystery mm-hmm. that features less of the magic and more of those, um, more of those, those other creatures. But um, an example of the kind of urban fantasy would be Ben Aronovich's Peter Grant series. So this is a police procedural. Grant has just finished his probation with London's Metropolitan Police. And he's, um, he actually becomes an apprentice wizard after he joins a small unit that deals with supernatural, you know, with crimes that have supernatural elements. Um, And so the world is recognizable as ours, you know, everything with the exception of these, these supernatural creatures and and the magical elements we would see as, as being London. But yeah, there's, there's magic, there's ghosts, and there are this whole cast of other creatures that are part of this world. So I'm really, I haven't finished the first book yet, but I'm really, really enjoying it. And there's several in this series. Um, And I think also some uh, graphic novels as well, which is something, again, that suggests to me that kind of overlap with fantasy, because we don't see a lot of that, um, supplementary material in kind of what we would consider um, the mystery genre. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really a good point and a good way to think of it is that overlap with fantasy because there has to be right because we're talking about things that are um, imaginary and, and not in the real world. But that sounds like a great series. I love it when we can have the magical world overlaid on the the real life world, because I love the the feeling of realism that that gives it, even though we know that it is um, just fiction. And that actually brings up a fun quote that I took from The Prestige. And uh, so this is from the journal of Alfred Borden, who, if you'll recall in the movie, is played by Christian Bale. And it says, the prestigitator, who is the magician, and the audience enter into what I term the pact of acquiescent sorcery. And I just loved that because it brings up the fact that in any of these books, and even in those fantasy novels, as readers, we're entering into a pact with that author to be like, okay, we're going to suspend our disbelief and we're going to, um, you know, jump in and enjoy this world, this fictional world with these creatures that don't necessarily exist in the real world and just have fun with it. And, um, you know, that's kind of what we do at a magic show too. Yeah, no, you're totally right about kind of entering this, um, disagreement with the author that there are going to be some rules around the world that they've created and you you know might not get an explanation of how everything in the world works but you're expecting for it to behave once it's behaved one way you're expecting it to continue to behave that way right um so i think yeah i think that's uh that's really a good point uh, to prepare for our conversation, I did read a few books and short stories that I, I probably wouldn't have ordinarily picked up. Um, I read the short story, The Eyes Have It by Randall Garrett. And so I discovered him, um, actually he's uh, mentioned in Martin Edwards' book, The Life of Crime. And Garrett's detective is Lord Darcy, who is an investigator for the Duke of Normandy. And this is an alternate history. So there's two kind of 
things that are happening in this book. It's it's an alternate history where uh, it's set in the 1960s, um, but the world is very feudal uh, because Richard the Lionheart didn't die in 1199 as he did in our world. So my English history doesn't go back much further than, say, the War of the Roses, which is about 15th century. Um, so there were probably some pieces that I didn't really get. Um, but in addition to this being an alternate history, um, magic has been standardized in this world for hundreds of years. And so, you know, it's just part of the way that they that they live. Um and I actually struggled a little bit to follow everything because there were because there were two elements that were so different from the world that that we live in. Uh, so Aronovich's book in the Peter Grant series, um, The Rivers of London, it was much easier for me to get into that because I recognized mm-hmm. the rest of the world, right? Um, but I think when you've got two things that are different for me at least it was it was a little bit more challenging yeah I agree both of those are really fun concepts the alternate history where this a great leader didn't die and that of course it's a sliding door moment where everything changes um, I love that but I can see how it would be hard to almost keep track of both of those different settings basically yeah I you know I as I was reading it I was I was almost thinking you know Like I would love to read historical fiction set in Tudor times, which I've read a lot more of, and I would probably, um, I would know the characters and and like understand the history a little bit more, uh, but where magic was a part of that world. Like I think that would be, um, that would be really great. And, you know, if you had some mystery in there too, I think I would love that. But I think it was having it set in 1960. And so there were like, Mm-hmm. things that you might recognize from present day or or recent history but then also this like very feudal societal structure it yeah it just was it it was just a little bit too much for me and i think that that also harkens back to the fact that we are primarily mystery genre readers because a fantasy reader they do that kind of mind bending stuff all the time in their books so that might not have been so difficult for somebody who primarily reads uh, fantasy. That's that's a really great point. Maybe it wasn't intended for readers like me. <laughs> <laughs> I was struck during my reading this week. I read some other books where, um, as I say, mostly stage magicians played into the story. But I like the fact that a magician might be the good guy or he might be the bad guy. Many times he's the sleuth in these in these stories, and we have a lot of golden age uh, examples of that. That was a, a hot uh, trend in the golden mm-hmm. age, um, also probably because magic and seances and all those things were hot topics. But um, you know they can also be the bad guy. And um, I read some Nancy Drew this week. The Magician's Secret is one of the Nancy Drew diaries from 2015. And in this story, the magician pulls off this amazing illusion to make it appear as that the uh, courthouse has disappeared. But in the process of 
creating this illusion, it actually creates an opportunity for a thief to go in and steal some important documents. And so clearly the magician and his assistant become suspects because, you know, did they orchestrate this whole thing? And I think we see that often in stories where, and maybe even if the magician or the magic show isn't the primary um, thrust of the of the story, but that their illusions give a criminal an opportunity to commit a crime. Oh, I like that. And then I have an example of stage magicians as anti-heroes. Um, it's a movie from 2013 called Now You See Me. And this team of magicians uh, pull off these bank heists and robberies, very magical, like miraculously magical. And then the audience members sort of take part in their heists. They're actually rewarded with the spoils of their thievery. Um, so this this Robin Hood feel. And then they just disappear. And then, you know, they reappear to do another show in another city and the FBI is chasing them all over the planet. And it's it's just really fun. But there we have an example of anti-heroes as magicians. Oh, that's a that's a great example. And I enjoyed um I enjoyed that uh that film. And I think there's a sequel as well. And I I enjoyed that too. There's something, yeah, it's like a heist film where I mean we're always cheering for the crooks, right? In in uh -huh. the heist films. <laughs> Yes, it's always that flip in a heist film. And and you and I have said before, we really love them. Yeah. Um, so just on, you know, you were talking about stage magic and, and definitely in the golden age that was um, popular. One of the other authors that um, Martin Edwards mentions in his book is Clayton Rawson, mm -hmm. uh, who wrote Locked Room Mysteries in the 1930s featuring the great Merlini. Um and so he's a stage magician using his knowledge of stage magic to solve the crime. I didn't actually get a chance to read any of his books, but there's such a great opportunity with stage magic to um, explore mystery. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know if you ever saw this, Brooke, but there was a BBC series called Jonathan Creek. Uh, and so Creek is the... Uh, the character Jonathan Creek creates stage magic tricks for his friend who is a well-known magician in the series. Um, and somehow uh, he finds himself investigating murders throughout the series and kind of uses his knowledge of having developed these, um, these tricks to solve the crimes. Yes. A magician as a sleuth is actually a great pair up for all those reasons, Sarah. I think it makes a really fun character and obviously why um, somebody like Ralston would choose that and, and write a series. And to me, the things that a stage magician does, well, you know, we question it in some of the same ways that we question like a red herring in a mystery story, like what's real, what's not, is uh, what's true and what's the lie. So I think it just like, it's a really cool layer to have inside of a mystery story. Yeah, they, they can be quite unreliable. Mm -hmm. So I know I was talking about um, alternate history featuring magic, but I did read some historical fiction featuring magic. Um, no uh, sliding door timelines in this, um, but uh, C.J. Archer actually has a couple of series where magic is a part of the world. Um, and so I've read uh, one of the books from the Glass Library series, which is set in the 1920s. Uh, and the 
um, main characters solve mysteries, um, though the first one is a mystery without murder. Uh, so that book, you know, felt like uh, it was maybe a little bit slower, but there's definitely some magical elements and hints at um, some bigger magical elements in that I think are, are explored in some of the subsequent books. Um, I know 1920s historical mystery is very popular and it had a lot of the tropes that you would expect to see in that with that overlay of the magical elements. And again, this was magical realism because everything else in the world was something that you would recognize as, as you know, having been part of ours. That sounds fun. I love that era of fiction. So that would definitely be one for me to look into. So is the magic something that the sleuth uses to solve the case or does it just exist in the world? Well, so there are people who have magic and people who don't. And the magic is uh, actually magic that I haven't um, encountered in any other kind of books that I've read where uh, someone who might be a magician has really just a very limited scope of what their magic can do. So their magic might be um, with respect to art. So they can create beautiful paintings and kind of um, add some magic to those paintings. Um, but that's the the extent of their magical powers. They're not, you know, there's nothing else that they can conjure or, or um, perform. Uh, so I thought that was also a really interesting, you know, uh, people having extra talent mm-hmm. in, in a particular area of, of their lives. Oh, that sounds really fun. Almost like a trade. They're like magical trade. It's been a while since I've read that book, but I think uh, there are actually like magical guilds. So if you are um, an artist, you would belong to the Magical Artist Guild, if you will. Oh, that's great. So another book that I read, um, Brooke, is Magic Inc., which I think was also known as The Devil Makes the Law. So this was published in 1940, but written by Robert A. Heinlein. Uh, So magic is a part of the world. um, And this story, actually kind of similar to what I just mentioned um, in C.J. Archer's book, where, um, you know, people can use magic to, uh, there's a character who infuses clothing with magic. But in this, so in this story, um, uh, magic is part of the world. And the story is really about like a scam or a shakedown with magicians kind of choosing one side or the other. So it was interesting. But uh, I think there are some other books in other subgenres of this uh, magic umbrella that I would read uh, another in the series rather than another one from this. Mm -hmm. So I think we should mention uh, Melissa Bourbon's books, Um, her bibliomancy book magic mystery series. I think the first one is Murder in Devil's Cove. So listeners will remember Melissa from our cozy mystery episode. And in this series, the main character uses bibliomancy to tell the future and to kind of solve some mysteries along the way. Um, And I've read a couple of books from that series and and really enjoyed them. Again, this is more magical realism because uh, with the exception of the, this magical element, the world is, is kind of what we, what we recognize. Oh, those are great examples, Sarah. And I agree. I enjoy that series as well. And um, as you say, that category in cozies is very popular. 
there are so many titles in that category where, uh, you know, which is a sleuth or which and her talking dog are the sleuth pair. And I think there's also, like we were talking about at the beginning, this overlap where there's um, some that are, you know, just kind of have witches and wizards and others that have a whole bunch of other um, supernatural creatures in them. And, and so kind of depending on what you're interested in, you can, you can find something that works for you. As most mystery subgenres, it's a spectrum. Absolutely. So Brooke, thanks for today's conversation. It was kind of fun to take a look at mysteries with magic. I agree. And there are so many little subtopics that we could dive into. I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about magic and mysteries. And thank you all for listening today to Clued in Mystery. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at cluedinmystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.